Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 329. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. Joined by Assistant Manager of Social Media, Alex Lopez. Joined by Assistant Editor, Tucker Marcus. Right off the top, I want to say, biggest news of the week has got to be the release of Marvel Studios' Black Panther. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is in theaters now. When we're recording this, we had just seen the Marvel New York friends and family company screening of Black Panther last yep, night. Last night. What's your very fresh. What's your first impression, Alex? Because I saw you afterwards very briefly, and you just looked yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was still trying to like wrap my head around. I really enjoyed it, and I think the message is really strong, and I really dug it. Yeah. I want to see it again. Tucker, I saw you and your girlfriend yeah. after the screening, and she was wiping tears from her face, That's right? Yeah, she. we both loved it a ton. I love that it felt so complimentary to the source material, the comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see the ancestral plane, and, you know, with the Jabari and, and the tribes and the history and sort of the origins and who Black Panther is and, you know, all the different elements of the world. I think Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole and everybody who worked on the film put so much into it that felt so authentic to what, I know and what many of our you know comic fans know, but wasn't slavish to it in any way. It was all just like, this is the source material and this is how we're taking it and putting it on the big screen. And it was phenomenal. Look, yeah. It looked beautiful oh, too. Yeah. Amazing the costumes. Visuals, ama- like the fashion, the uh, technology, yeah. all the designs. Ugh. It was neat. I really, really dug it. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, you guys will be seeing it probably by the time you listen to this. You will, many of you will have already seen it because mm-hmm. I know you guys are awesome and want to check out the films as soon as you possibly can. So that's terrific. But I think it's time for us to dive into the new books out this week. If you missed the pull list, you can check it out. It covers all 20 issues, I think. Yeah, 20 issues that came out this week. Uh, We have picked four to dive into. I'm going to start us off with Falcon number five. We have Sam really having his family here. Last issue, he was in literally in hell and escaped thanks to his blood family, thanks to some machinations and thanks to his friends. And now he's back in the, the land of the living and he's talking to Joaquin and Sean who, yeah, they're his sort of sidekicks slash protégés, but here he says it, he's like, you guys and Red Wing, you're my family. And there's this beautiful touching moment of... Family is more than just blood. It's it's you know the people who you love and you you surround yourself with and that can make you better. This is written by Rodney Barnes, art by Joshua Casara, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by Joe Caramagna. Rodney and Joshua have been building this great story where Sam and his crew have been fighting Blackheart in Chicago, essentially for the soul of the city. And on Sam's side, he's got Damon Hellstrom who. Thankfully, not wearing a shirt, because if you are the son of Satan and you've got a, a pentagram chiseled body, a chiseled body <laughs> and a pentagram tattoo that's on fire, you need yeah. to show that off. Yeah, you got to show that sucker off. Yeah. You look, Any chance you have. <laughs> looking good in the neighborhood. On the other side with him, you have Dr. Voodoo. And I feel like Rodney just loves writing Dr. Voodoo. He, he gives him, as I talked about on the pull list, my favorite line in comics this week. He says, forgiveness essentially will be denied. You're going to have to take this up with God. 
Ooh. He oh. says it better. But it's this awesome moment for pretty much every character has their great things in here. Sam is the leader. You get him, this dude wearing a harness and flight suit. And he's essentially a super trained, super smart, amazing dude. But he's a human with no physical right. superpowers. His power is connected to birds, connected to Red Wing. And he punches a demon in the face. He goes toe-to-toe with him. And he's like, let's do this. There's a cool bit of self-sacrifice from one of the humans. It's just Rodney does a great job at writing humanity, writing the, the things that make people special. And in this case, it's these superheroes, these villains, and he has a great way of diving right into those characters really quickly, really easily. The villain beats throughout this are, are tremendous. You know, Blackheart is the son of Mephisto, and all he wants to do is be taken seriously. He just wants to sit at the table and be like, hello, I <laughs> yeah. have no opinion for being evil. <laughs> that is my Blackheart impression. And... <laughs> You almost feel bad for him because he's just such a chump. Almost. (laughs) Like he is, he's definitely corrupting and doing terrible things. But at the same time, he's just just a poor sap. Yeah. He just wants some some attention, some respect. Yeah. (laughs) And he can't get it. Great moments in here. Really funny stuff, too. Like at the end, they're all just chilling, they're hanging out. Sam's joking about how he still has his Avengers credit card. You know what? He's going to use it until somebody <laughs> stops him. Charge using it, it up. <laughs> uh, the last panel, though, is something really neat. And I think just a great way to you end a big arc that has repercussions for the main character, just building around the world and doing all these cool things. You have this cool down moment and then you, you immediately set off, hey, this is going to happen in the future. It's a character we haven't seen in a long time. It's a character I don't necessarily equate to Sam Wilson, but it immediately got me fired up. And I'm, I'm skating around it because I don't want to spoil it because I think it's a neat little reveal at the end. And then the cover for the next issue is... Smoochy, smoochy. Super smooching <laughs> between Misty Knight and Falcon. Falcon loves smooching midair. There's like that famous cover with the mighty Thor. Yeah. He's, he's he loves a good run. midair smooch. If you could fly, uh, would point. you not? Yeah, yeah already good point. This is true. You won me over. Yeah, you yeah. grab your smooch partner and you're yeah. like, let's go up there and smooch, smooch, smooch. Yeah, there's yeah. a way you're not going to do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, another tremendous issue of Falcon. On to my pick of the week. Uh, I got Despicable Deadpool number 294. And this is a cap to the madcap and Deadpool rivalry, essentially. And I think it's not so much a happy issue, but... I think it's, it definitely has Deadpool at one point in the fetal position. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I wouldn't this, say well, happy. That's, that's towards the end, which that has to do with something else. But this is more of, it, it's really just capitalizing on that Deadpool is his worst own enemy, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's by Jerry Duggan, art by Scott Koblish, and colors by Ruth Redman. And I love the beginning because it's just Madcap coming back to life, regenerating. He's like, I've made this plan this whole time. It's time for Deadpool to die. And then he like completely just finds out all the events of Secret Empire. <laughs> He's just like, oh, this all happened. If you think about it psychologically, right? It's an, it's an interesting character development. Right. So you have a guy whose sole purpose was to ruin someone's life. And then the dude's life has been ruined. And so you're like, oh, great. This adventure is so, over. Uh-huh. I'm ready yeah. to go do something else. If you think from Madcap's angle, there's actually a happy ending. Yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> like, you know, he's marching <laughs> yeah. off, all have songs. He's like singing. He's booping. Yeah. You know? He's getting all over the place. He gets exactly what he wants at the end. But it's a Deadpool story. So it's extremely sad. <laughs> and this is the whole thing. He ends up just saying, 
I was tired of you. Like, I was just going to kill you, and then I was going to go on to the next thing. He's like, but you destroyed yourself. If Madcap had said, ya basic, to Deadpool, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good that's place really to That's really what reference. it was, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just highlighting that. And I think it's really getting to Deadpool that he's like, he's trying to caution off this bucket list because he thinks something might happen to him or he's planning to finish himself off. And this Madcap just saying, you did it already. Like, you push everyone away. You have no family. You have no friends. He's like, who's better to destroy yourself than you? <laughs> yeah. Man. Jerry's like long arc for Deadpool is one brilliant, two horrible. Yeah, it's so devastating to the character, and it's to the point where yeah, I, I mentioned it. He's in the fetal position by the end of the yeah. book for a very good reason, and it just feels like they're just crushing, crushing, crushing poor Wade. Yeah, well, it's really sad, but it's really just symbolic of everything that like Deadpool's going through. I mean, this is the bucket list. That's the arc. It's only one thing that happens and then the bucket list, you know? <laughs> you, you die. Yeah. So, <laughs> sad stuff. <laughs> My pick this week is Doctor Strange number 385. It's written by Donny Cates, art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Corey Petit. I think what we've come to learn and now expect of Donny Cates' writing since he started on Doctor Strange, since he's done a couple other things, since he's written Thanos, is he just has such a command of this epic voice. He loves a good narration, and he does it so well. We jump straight into the action in this issue with Zelma and Loki, the Sorcerer Supreme, fighting the void which was the big reveal at the end of the last issue there was a locked gate inside the sanctum sanctorum it opened up and what was being hidden in there but the opposite of the sentry and the sentry he has the power of a million exploding suns like this tremendous level of power and his <laughs> opposite is the void and he is equally as powerful and as deranged and dangerous. And it's mm -hmm. the struggle has always been for the century to keep the void in check. And there's a stalemate. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we, we see the century has shown up. And it's not just that they're fighting the void. They're fighting the void who's possessed Doctor Strange. Yeah. That's how the last issue ends. And it's just like, ah! Yeah, yeah, it's it's insane. And, and this is why the century exiled himself because he didn't want to unleash the power of the void unfortunately for him dr strange came and asked for help and this is the natural consequence so the void has the knowledge of dr strange within him and one of the things that he does as a result because there's this grand red button spell called the exile of sing soon which stephen strange has secretly hidden within the souls of the people he loves uh, which is crazy and awesome. Such a cool choice. Awesome, uh, but also such a perfectly jerk move. Oh, yeah. Jerk Doctor Strange move. Yeah. I mean, that kind of gets at the big lesson of this issue and of this arc as we emerge from it is it's Doctor Strange contending with his own power. It's His power kind of distracts him from the lives of others in a lot of ways. So as a result... The Void kind of unleashes this spell within Zelma, who's there, and she's kind of glowing from her chest. Loki jumps in, hits the off button, kind of, and he essentially gathers all the magic in the world 
to break this spell and to break the void, to break the void's connection to Doctor Strange. Yeah, and in the process, I think he also reinvigorates magic yes. that the empirical took away. There's just so many things yeah, going there's on. There's so much. There's so much. But it all works so perfectly. There's just some awesome, really cool, almost venomy type art. I, I gotta give props to the art team here. Oh, because yeah. It's Gabriel Hernandez Volta and Jordi Belair. The the way that the the void is portrayed, it's scratchy and inky and scary, dangerous, similar but different from ways we've seen the void before. And especially Jordy's coloring here, these purple eyes yeah. and the, the hues, the greens and the purples and the, the colors that pop so hard, especially against the void's inky, deep, complete yeah. blackness. It's like, you know, none more black. And it's so cool. Then the the after effects of this crazy fight kind of come through for Steven. The sentry is, he kind of knew this was going to happen. He didn't want to re-enter the fray. Strange forced him to, and this was the result. He says, leave me alone. Don't talk to me anymore. He leaves. And then Loki and Steven have a, a conversation, and a lot is revealed in this conversation. I don't want to get too deep into it, but a lot is revealed with what Loki's been doing all along, what maybe he's making up as he goes along, maybe he's covering his own tracks. Uh, it's a little hard to tell. Yeah, it's the idea of like, Loki's the boy who cried wolf, right? right. Like he, He's the god of mischief, the god of lies. The things he says, you don't know if they're true or not. And sometimes when they're true, there's something hidden in there that is the mischief, is the lie. Mm. But then there's some things that are just, the truth and he's trying to tell you and you're just like dude whatever <laughs> and there's moments in here that are so cool like several years ago uh and it might have been a couple of different times brian michael bendis and john ramita jr they relaunched i think it was new avengers and they had the arc with the next avengers the kids who were in that movie mm-hmm. the, the animated movie and there it opens up with this like timeline of events and it was things that hadn't been published yet it was right. stories and ideas. I think Age of Ultron was listed on there. I can't recall it exactly, but it was this piece in a book that said, here's things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Here's things that did happen. Here's where we are. And it was just this cool, like, here's a bunch of Easter eggs. Maybe this stuff happens. Maybe it doesn't. Right. I don't know. We saw a bit of that in, in, in Donnie's Thanos recently. Yeah, yeah, right? And so this in here... Like, he mentions damnation. Mm-hmm. He mentions the War of the Realms. Yeah. And we know those things are happening. The Gathering of the Infinity like, Stones. And the, yeah, yeah, the Hunt for the... So yeah. he says three things, and there's just a couple of things in here that we know for a fact are, are happening right now or coming up. And then what about the other stuff? Is that true, too? Right. And then poor Loki. He's yeah. trying. Yeah. Like, you actually feel for him here. Right. Yeah. It's such a cool element to play with, to just really hone in on the idea that you never really know what he's saying or if it's true or not. Loki leaves. Well, Loki doesn't leave. Strange makes him leave in a really great little <laughs> goodbye. And he's kind of just left there on his own. He He went through this big journey through these first few issues, trying to win his old life back. And in the process, he kind of destroyed it all in a, in, a, in a really crazy way. On the last page, there is a great a great hello to go with all the goodbyes. But, you know, a lot of things are changing for Stephen Strange as a result of this story. Yeah, a tremendous issue. I'm glad you picked it because I, I probably would have if you hadn't. 
All right, last pick of the week is one of mine, and it is Star Wars Throne. Is that how he talks? I don't. I've never heard of <laughs> Throne. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, it's probably more like Throne. Well, like anytime we talk about Star Wars stuff, like the beast has the potential to be unleashed within me. It's kind of my void. Let it happen. It's my equivalent of the <laughs> void. But it's funny you bring up that up because in Star Wars Rebels, this character recently came up and there was a lot of talk by Dave Filoni and the Rebels and the Star Wars animation team about how hard it was to find the perfect voice for Thrawn because he's this iconic character for Star Wars. Did they hire me? Did they? I don't know. Oh, Did I get the call. Even when there's a Brandon is, is nodding. He says, yes, <laughs> he, I got the call, you guys. He's the audio guy. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you to the Academy. Yeah, they, uh, well, um, actually, they already did the casting and the seasons <laughs> already came out. But it's actually played by Mads Mikkelsen's dad, who's also an actor. Matters I, I, Mikkelsen? <laughs> even Mads, Matter Miss Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen? <laughs> Just terrible jokes. I'm um, so sorry. But that's the thing. There is such a specific voice to this character as you're reading this comic. Interesting. So I, this is my introduction to Thrawn. As mm-hmm. I talked about on the pull list, I have not read any of the Timothy Zahn books. Alex, have you read them? Yeah. You have? I have, yeah. Interesting. I, it's yeah. written by Jody Hauser. Art by Luke Ross. Colors by Nolan Woodard. Letters by Clayton Cowles. As we said, it's based on the novel by Timothy Zahn. And so I came in only knowing that he was a big deal. It's like, I don't know anything about Star Trek, but I knew that Khan was kind of a big deal. Mm -hmm. Then I watched the movie. I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) That that, that first movie. Uh, I see the appeal of it, but I think people older than me love that Wrath of Khan movie. Right. And yep. so a lot of people who are deeper in Star Wars love Thrawn. It's and not yeah. it's not Khan. It's Thrawn! I think I just got a text from someone saying, is everything okay? <laughs> um, yeah, so this does such a great job in building the myth around him because yeah. he's sort of from this this mythic race. The Chiss. Uh, and then it's just like, bang, bang, boom. He's... Getting himself into the Empire system. And yeah. so timeline-wise, this takes place between the first two trilogies? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, if you were mentioning Rebels and he is Admiral yeah. at yeah. that time, so then this would have had to be a couple years before. Yeah, him. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this really details like the beginning of his career in the Empire and... I'm fascinated by all of this. I, I love the the character building here of him learning from the people around him. And yeah. Jody and Luke do a great job of, without ever stating anything like it or showing it specifically, giving the sense that he's just moving everything around like chess pieces. Mm. Yeah. You know he's 10 steps ahead of everyone. In everyone. Mind. Yeah. It, the way they play it out in this book, it shows it so well. Especially, I like the way that they capitalize. He's not learning about the empire through like history or anything that it's all from the people he's surrounded with so like cadet vanto who he basically appoints assistant his assistant he's like i'm learning through you and he's like the way you know you're interacting with people the way you're doing your job the, like what you're good at and all that and it's so or he just takes in so much around him that he's able to put this piece there this place there this piece there this piece there and he's just like like you know he's gonna tear things down <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, a cool thing that, like, the Chiss, if they say they're going to do something, that's it. Yeah. They're going to do that or they're going to die trying. Yep. And so there are moments in here where you see those things starting to happen and Vanto realizing, 
oh, he just said he's going to do this thing. I guess I'm along for the ride. Yep. It's wild. Vanto was a, was a character in the original book, I assume. Yeah. There's a moment in here also where the Emperor has Thrawn in front of him, and they have this conversation. So cool. And the Emperor sort of like, what's up, kid? Right. <laughs> Let's talk. And Thrawn being like, yeah, you're a guy in power. You have the things that I want. I, it's fascinating little machinations yeah. and, and, and movements here. And there's a mention of a Jedi that Thrawn encountered. Where did that take place? Because that was only touched on briefly here, but it feels like that's a whole story I want to learn more about. Yeah, I guess that had to be somewhere in the Attack of the Clones region. That might have been in the original novel, but that also might have been just like, because the original novel is now Legends and not canon, now that this issue is bringing his backstory into canon that just might be a further tie-in to good point yeah, where yeah. he's been even before the origin story got it yeah, yeah. no it was cool I, I hope we get to see that story in some way shape or form the art in here is awesome luke just does such a great job of giving him presence and it's beautiful nolan's colors are great especially because you have him standing out so much mm-hmm. the bright blue is so evocative throughout this i I would like to read the novel, but at this point, I don't even know if I want to because right. I have this in my head yeah. so much. And I think they were doing such a great job. But I am 1,000% sold on the majesty of Thrawn. <laughs> oh, also at this week, a book we're super excited about is Black Panther, Long Live the King, number five, written by novelist Nnedi Okorafor with art by Andre Lima Orojo and Chris O'Halloran. We will talk about that on next week's episode of The Polis. All right, so that wraps up our picks for this week. Again, reminder, if you want to hear about the other 16 issues that came out this week, plus all the collections, the digital issues, all that good stuff, check out the poll list. But time for us to dive into the news because there's a whole lot going on. Uh, Over on the comics side, we have been posting this History of Black Panther series, sort of celebrating 50 years of the King of Wakanda. Now we're in the mid-70s. I saw there was a really cool one that's uh, detailing some stuff with Eric Killmonger. There's also a really great Black Panther family tree infographic and video that Lorraine Sink produced. The art in it is by the amazing Kari Randolph and colors by Eric Arciniega. And it just like details where T'Challa falls in line with the previous Black Panther and, and sort of the his lineage in the world of, of the comics. Super cool stuff. Yeah, it's great. We also, we launched our first creator commentary for Old Man Hawkeye. That's right. This is something uh, that uh, we worked with Ethan Sachs, the writer of Old Man Hawkeye, on. And uh, it's a really great kind of different kind of behind the scenes look at what he was thinking for a bunch of different pages and panels and and things that went on in issue number one of Old Man Hawkeye that's on the website right now. And yeah, it's in his words, it's a first person perspective of what he was thinking, his conversations with Marco Coquetto, the incredible Marco Coquetto, and the wonderful colorist Andres Mosa. And uh, yeah, we'll be rolling those out with each new issue of Old Man Hawkeye. It's super exciting. Very cool. And we have an interview with Ethan Sachs, writer. We'll talk a little bit more about that after the news. So we've been talking a little bit about the hunt for Wolverine. We knew that there was going to be a couple of limited series coming out of it. The big kickoff by Charles Soule and David Marquez. But now we have the creative teams for the four limited series that are coming out starting in May. You've got Hunt for Wolverine, Weapon Lost. That's four issues by Charles Soule, Matteo Bufagni. Hunt for Wolverine, Adamantium Agenda. 
by Tom Taylor and R.B. Silva. Hunt for Wolverine, Claws of a Killer by Mariko Tamaki and Butch Geis. And Hunt for Wolverine, Mystery and Madripoor by Jim Zub and Chris Pachalo. Each one has a different sort of feel and flavor and all that good stuff. It, it's it's going to be really cool. Check out more information on that, obviously, on Marvel.com. All right, on to games news. In the world of Lego Marvel superheroes, there's a new Black Panther DLC available now with the Wakanda level and new characters like Black Panther, Killmonger, Okoye, Nakia, Claw, and Everett Ross. And then Marvel Future Fight, the release of Luna Snow's full-length music video and the debut of her hit single, Tonight. I, I think I was talking, we were having... I just watched it, actually, at my yeah. desk. Yeah. <laughs> we were having a conversation with the games team, and they were saying that as soon as she was announced, they were starting to see fan art and stuff yeah, like really? that. really? And yeah. I think we're going to see, like this song get covers and cool stuff like that. Like I just love when cool. fans just dive right in and, and embrace the characters and stuff. It's, yeah. it's neat. It's great. I, like I said, just watch it and I'm excited to release it. All right. And uh, in Marvel Contest of Champions, Killmonger joins the fight. He's available now. I played with him. It's pretty cool. Is he got his, <laughs> the suit like in, in the film? In the film, yeah. yeah. Like gold and all yeah. that. The awesome thing that I noticed is you can see the spots yes. in the suit. I didn't notice that until late, but I was like, ooh. Uh, just a real neat little touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. In Marvel Avengers Academy news, new characters Shuri and Okoye join Avengers Academy to face a new boss, Ulysses Claw. Yeah. Man, that, can we talk about Andy Serkis? Oh, oh let's go into we, it. We were talking about him for <laughs> so long this morning. Yeah. He was so fun. It, it oh. was. He was such a highlight to watch. And every like anytime he came on screen, I was just like, do more. He needs to do more live action. Right? Oh, yeah, like completely. He, he's the best motion capture artist out there, mm-hmm. but he's also a fantastic actor in his own right of without the makeup and the effects and everything. Yeah, so good in Black Panther. Holy so crap. Good. Um, Marvel Future Fight joins the Funko Pop line. Uh, you collect Sharon Rogers as Captain America and Amadeus Cho as Hulk, part of the Marvel Gamerverse collection, and that's coming in May. It's cool. Yeah. A lot of stuff happening. In movies news, the world tour from Marvel Studios' Black Panther has been wrapping up leading up to the release, but uh, you can go to marvel.com now to check out photos from the London premiere, which was so awesome. I put together that article. So yeah, go check out those pictures. There's some great stuff on marvel.com. Also, Marvel Music and Hollywood Records present the score, the amazing music from the film. The album is available now wherever you listen to your tunes, and the score is composed by Grammy-nominated composer and songwriter Ludwig Göransson. There were a couple of other stories on the on the site. There was one that was a cool bit about the architectural inspirations behind the film of like the way Wakanda looks and, and that kind of stuff. I th- that was really neat. You could check that out on the site, as well as one uh, where we talked to Lupita Nyong'o about being Nakia and, and just She's awesome. Uh, so good. Yeah. yeah. If you guys haven't picked up uh, your tickets, or if you have, if you go to a Regal Cinema, you might be able to get an exclusive Black Panther poster for going to Regal to see the film. Check out their website and Fandango and all those places for more information about all the cool opportunities to get some really sweet Black Panther swag with your tickets. In news for like the theme parks and live events and kind of stuff like that there was a host of stuff d23 expo in japan just happened there were a ton of announcements first up the marvel superhero universe will come to disneyland paris's walt disney studios park and the rock and roller coaster will be totally reimagined there as a high-speed hyperkinetic adventure where guests will team up with iron man and their favorite avengers 
they're doing so much at Disneyland Paris. I feel like I have it's my duty to go to Paris yeah. and check this out. Uh, not only that, they have uh, we, we showed an image of one of the rooms that will open at Disney's Hotel New York, the Art of Marvel at Disneyland Paris in 2020. Gosh, there's all that plus 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for those guests who just cannot wait to encounter Marvel at Disneyland Paris starting this June 2018. Marvel Summer of Superheroes will bring guests face to face with Captain America, Spider Man, Star Lord, and Black Widow. Uh, I mean, this all just screams business justification to me. Yeah, yeah. we need to go. And, yeah, uh, but it's not just Disneyland Paris. Hong Kong Disneyland is getting an entire Marvel themed area that is underway. Now, Alex's eyes get real big at the thought of that. I'm excited. It's going to be really cool. Now, they actually have the second new Marvel attraction set for Hong Kong Disneyland. Guests will be invited to team up with Ant-Man and the Wasp to fight Artem Zola and his army of Hydra swarm bots. That is just super cool. Send me Hong Kong. I'll go right now. I gotta go first. Uh, you guys, it's not even it. There's more. They talked about some of the cool stuff that was teased at the USD23 over last summer. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy are coming to Epcot at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Uh, it was revealed that this attraction will be a roller coaster, one of the longest enclosed roller coasters in the world. Fingers crossed that it does not go upside down because I don't like roller coasters that go upside really? down. Really? Wow. I feel like I'm going to throw up, fall out, and die. And it's not anything to do <laughs> in with... In that order or in a different yeah. order? So you're talking like... Most mar- most Disney coasters don't go upside down, so I, I'm super happy true. with, you know, like, I can do your Space Mountains, I can do your Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. That's my jam. So are we talking, like, loops, though, or, like, the ones that just, like, twist upside down on the track? I'm not going to do any, any of them. Any of them? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm not going to do any of them. But I, if this does go upside down, maybe, maybe there's a reason for me to try it. Anyway, the Guardians of the Galaxy attraction at Epcot, which will feature a brand new innovative ride system, will open in time for the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. World Resort in 2021. So that's only three years away. We got to go. It Let's plan the trip now. Yeah. One of you can, I don't know, come in my suitcase. I'll, I'll take you as, <laughs> as extra luggage. It's going to be a big suitcase. Uh, All right, that about wraps it up for news this week. But as we mentioned a little bit earlier, we have an interview with Mr. Ethan Sachs, writer of Old Man Hawkeye. I got to talk to him about the book how he got into comics, got in the comics industry. He and I both worked at Wizard, very different time periods in our careers. But he's, you know, he spent 20 years at the Daily News. He's a great dude. I don't think we did the interview in our Scottish brogue, though we both wanted to. It was, we have really great Scottish brogues, Alex. That was pretty good. Right? Uh, All right, let's go now to our interview with Ethan. Ethan, welcome. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Good. So I was trying to think how we first started to know each other because we've known each other now a bunch of years. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's been the older I get, uh, <laughs> that, that's I think why they hired me for Old Man uh, Hawkeye because I'm channeling a lot of of the old man part. So your background though is journalism. Correct. Yeah. yeah. How'd you get into all that? Uh, so I was at the New York Daily News for 20 years. I pretty much did everything except drive the trucks. I was the film editor when I left, but you know, it got to a point where I kind of wanted to do something else. So I took a buyout in December 2016. And at that point, I had already been talking to Marvel. So I didn't know if that was an actual thing. To be honest, I didn't even know making comic books was a real profession. I had this idea that there were a bunch of elves in a tree. Uh, I with... mean, that's not 
untrue. <laughs> we definitely do have some elves and trees here. I noticed that in this yeah. in this very room. Yeah, uh, they're, they're just unicorns don't worry and elves. About them. They just they're doing their thing. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean the the stars aligned. I uh, Mark Basso, the editor on Old Man uh, Hawkeye, last summer reached out to me and you know asked me to pitch for it. And uh, the hardest part was keeping it a secret for so long. <laughs> from friends and family who were wondering why I locked myself in a room and didn't come out and was talking to myself and playing with action figures. I mean, at least I had a reason now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it was a little less creepy. <laughs> a little bit. A little, a little bit. Slightly. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of your creative process going from journalism to writing comics, which is not an uncommon thing. How is it for you with your, you know, with your brain just trying to get to that point? I think the best part or the part of my journalist toolbox, if you will, that has helped me the most is an insane fear of deadlines <laughs> uh, and being able because of that to manage my time. For those of, of you who don't know the, the sort of the process, you, you write an outline, you, you go back and forth with the editor. From that outline, you write a script, go back and forth with the editor, goes to the, uh, the artist, inker, all that, colorist, and then um, it's kicked back to you to make sure if there's any issues with the uh, dialogue fitting and things like that. So at every step, if you don't hit the deadline, you don't want to make the fans wait for something. So I think I've budgeted my time well because of that. So I think that's number one. And then, you know, when you write an article of any kind, you, you sort of, there's a structure to it, right? So you, you have to tell that story in a certain amount of space, you know, in a way that a reader who may not know about a specific subject matter can digest it. So I think that helps too, because, you know, you got to make the story fit yeah i can't write you know 15 issues of story if they give me 12 <laughs> issues to write it in uh you know I, I staple some extra pages uh drawn in crayon or something but uh so i think that's helped me you yeah. know be focused yeah kelly thompson who writes hawkeye for us and writes a bunch of books a rogan gambit and other stuff she tweeted out her like her organizational schedule mm -hmm. for her writing and she blocked out all the books that she's working on but it was like six or seven rows and where she needs to be at any given day in the month and how she paces all that stuff out. And I was like, that that's just bonkers. And being able to hit those deadlines is so difficult. Yeah. Um, that skill set is really cool. And finding using that to get into writing comics is, is great because it's not something people think about yeah. all the time. When you were growing up, were you a big Marvel fan? I was. I learned how to read through comic books. Uh, I had a mix, to be honest, of Marvel and Distinguished Competition at the time. But once I hit five, I discovered, I think it was Micronauts number 20. I have to look that up, where Ant-Man uh, was like in a grocery store. And I loved Micronauts for some reason. I had the toys and that Who was doesn't? like a big... Yeah. Anyone who's uh, younger than like 35. True. Those designs were so cool. The world was so cool. Yeah, it was cool. so cool. And they, they had the toys as well, which was a big deal because that was before, you know, safety standards and when, <laughs> when missiles could fire into yeah. your eyeball and it was okay. Yeah. We were okay with that. Yeah, there was definitely lead and, yes. and weird metal parts to all of them. Exactly. You know, I probably would have been six foot five and a professional <laughs> athlete, but, you know, it stunted, stunted my growth a little bit. So anyway, I just, uh, I loved Micronauts. I eventually found my way to X-Men. Daredevil remains like one of my favorites. I loved how he overcame, you know, his blindness and used other senses. I was like a, just a, a I, I was never that big into heroes that bullets bounced off them and things like that. I kind of liked the ones that really struggled to say that it was why I love Hawkeye so much as well. Yeah. yeah so just growing up, uh, it was a big part of my life and it remains a big part of my life. The cool part now is 
now I can justify it, right? So <laughs> all those years, my mother said, you know, you got to stop spending all your money on comic books because you got to start thinking about your future and stuff like that. And I'm like, see, you were wrong. And you were wrong for selling my Star Wars action figures at Deal a yard that. sale. Yeah. Because I could have retired by now with, with those Star Wars action figures. So anyway, I think I've lived my life trying to be emotionally 15. Uh, and I... I recommend that to everybody. So. Yeah. The Hawkeye opportunity here came to you because Mark Basso reached out to you? Or were you, you know, looking at coming to Marvel and being like, I want to write a Hawkeye book? You know, the truth is when you're uh, sort of the f last person through the door, you are open to whatever people think is a good fit for you. So to rewind a little bit, how I got my foot in the door at Marvel was I had written a Star Wars spec script. And... Um, it wasn't suitable for publication for a continuity reason. I won't get into, but the uh, upshot was- You killed was, Luke, right? Like yes. that was the one- yeah, Page I, one. I've heard, I've heard anyway. tales of, of you just being yes. like, you know what? This Luke guy, I don't care for him. I was ahead of the curve on yeah. the Force ghost thing. Yep. Hopefully it's not a spoiler for anyone at this point. <laughs> I made him a Force ghost between New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Oh. Just no one knew it. And oddly, uh, it was not made, <laughs> not published. But uh, I think that's helped me. So I, I put out a little uh, note on the Twitter to see if anybody had any questions for you. We have a couple come in. Um, Kenneth Marcote at Hemdahl84 says, uh, what comic was your favorite as a child? Was it Micronauts or was it X-Men? Or Different points in my life, I would say Micronauts uh, at one point. There was uh, certainly the Claremont Byrne X-Men. I was actually alive and reading comics at that time. So that was a pretty remarkable run. So I guess if I had to pick one, it might be that. I also loved, even more than Frank Miller on Daredevil, I loved Denny O'Neill on Daredevil. There was this one issue, I want to say it was like 215, where Daredevil, it was in the Old West, and Daredevil was sort of solving this mystery. As normally happens with yes, Daredevil exactly. when he goes to the Old West. Well, but it was sort of in the far, in the distant past, there was a, a Native American hero who was also involved with this mystery. So it was sort of told from two time frames. I'm really doing a horrible job at selling this comic, but it was one of the ones I remember all this time later. Obviously not remember fully because that's sure. what happens when you get old. Um, <laughs> Daredevil is an interesting book in that everybody, you know, puts their flag in the ground. Frank Miller, hmm. all his work, Mazzucchelli, like those runs were great. But there's also people who, like you, have like, yeah, that that is amazing. But I also really love this run or this run. For me, it's Anacenti and mm. JRJL. Great run. Like yeah. that, to me, is one of my all-time favorite comic runs because there's just so many cool things that they're doing and some weird twists and turns that they have with, with the series at that point. And I think Daredevil is an interesting book because it has these really interesting runs that people connect to. Yeah, and it's how many great creators over the years have written him, you know? <laughs> Marvin Gonzalez asks a question about current Hawkeye. Having written now, you're writing Old Man Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. Does that make you more or less want to write, you know, current day Clint? I mean, I would love to. Obviously, it's not my uh, not my call. Yeah, not necessarily <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to take over this book, but just... CB, if you're listening. <laughs> just getting in a character's head X number of years down the line sort of say, oh, I've, I've got this character's, you know, feeling out of my system. I want to try someone else. Or does it be like, oh, man, I really want to charge in? What I love about him, um, and I think that translates, like, clearly by the old man Logan universe time, despite his age, he hasn't fully grown up yet. But what I love about him, and I relate to him most of all the characters, is that 
he keeps plugging away and trying to do his best when he's clearly overmatched in almost every situation he <laughs> finds himself in. You yeah. know, I mean, really, he's got a bow and arrow. That's it. So the fact that he perseveres through everything, you know, whether uh, in recent runs it was hearing loss, um, Marco and my story, it's going blind, but it's trying to manage a life in Brooklyn or just everything he does, it it takes everything he can just to just to make it through yeah. from from page one to page 20 or 22. You know, yeah. it's just amazing. I mean, look, he couldn't even die right. Oh really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of sad. It was yeah. a sad death. I love that 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 line. Not like this. Not like this. Uh, that was the line. So good. I was joking with Bendis for years about that. You know, like on on Facebook or like, hey, aren't you the guy that killed Hawkeye? Or would you stop killing Hawkeye? Because I think he killed him like two or three times, didn't he? In, in different probably. Yeah, the Bendis was a one. monster. Yeah, just a uh, Hawkeye serial killer. It's too bad he's retired now. Yes. Um, <laughs> you talk about Marco Caquetto. Uh how much fun is it to write with an artist of Marco's caliber? I think what's most amazing about Marco, first of all, I recommend to everybody at some point in their life to just get emails from Marco, <laughs> just coming in and say, hey, what do you think about this? And everything, it's just like, you literally open up the email and it's there's an attachment somewhere that's a chorus of angels, like an MP3 or something. Ah. And it's just killer art. His sketches, everything he does is just amazing. But I think... You know, everyone will focus on just the quality of the art, but I think the unsung part of it all is he's got, you know, as someone who is a former film editor, he's got this cinematic sense. So, you know, when I write a scene, I write these instructions that are fairly sparse, right? Like you can interpret it in any number of ways, like, you know, Hawkeye is pointing an arrow at so-and-so or something. So he'll do it from this angle that just makes it devastating you know what i mean or like he'll get expressions out of faces and and it's it's not just that he's got this incredible talent as an artist but he's got this incredible talent as a storyteller as a visual storyteller yeah uh sorry when, you, when you're talking about this it makes me think of the sequence in issue number one of old man hawkeye where clint's fighting the uh, the madrox gang yeah you know and like there's the small panels it's clint's face yeah. hitting one of the the jamies and like all like that it must have been nine or 12 panels. I don't have it in front of me. Nine, yeah. It was, yeah, it was really, it was just a really fun, dynamic sequence. And it's that knowing that he's able to take those pieces and just run a town with it is, is so fun. Speaking of nine panels, it's funny. So for issue uh, four, the first three pages, not much of a spoiler, the first three pages are nine panels each. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, like, don't hate me for uh, these nine pages because I hated you since, uh, since the eight panel action page in issue three. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'm digging about this, the series is the bits and pieces that you guys are adding to that universe. Like the Madrox gang was just such a smart, fun thing. Like I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. That's neat. The ultron like mm-hmm. the weird relationship stuff. Clint's daughter? I don't even remember. Was Clint's daughter? Actually, yeah, she's in it. In fact, so in Old Man Logan, she's basically a supervillain. Like, so they rescue her. She in the spider costume? Yes. Okay, right. But what I, as a father myself, when you're a parent, you have all these neuroses about how awful a parent you are. So I was thinking like, man, how bad a parent would Clint have had to have been that clearly he doesn't see his daughter. And then she grew up. Here's a superhero. Her grandfather was a superhero in Spider-Man. And uh, she's grown up to be this total supervillain, basically, like, kills Kingpin and, like, takes over. So 
I was thinking like nobody's completely, you know, there are no like black and whites. It's gray, right? It should all be gray. So what would turn her like that? And like how, you know, he must feel bad that he is not in her life. So I kind of wanted to get, I didn't want to go too much into it, but I kind of wanted to hint at that. So yeah. I, I love her character. I'd love to do more because I kind of feel like there is something interesting about her background which related to both Hawkeye and Spider-Man. Old Man Ashley. You yes. just do Old Man Ashley. Well, she's kind of young. <laughs> it doesn't so matter. She's, she's like 14. This, is, this is now the brand. Old Man. <laughs> yes. Whatever. Uh, or we could set it in the far future. Yeah. She is an old, old woman. Uh, yeah. All right. So I don't want to spoil the end of the first issue, though. If you're listening to this at this point, you should have read the first issue. It's really good. But you introduce... Uh, I don't think we saw this. Yeah, mom. <laughs> I don't think we saw the character who shows up at the end of issue number one in the previous stories. Before. No, not exactly. We didn't. Yeah. yeah. So I dug that. What can you tell us about the upcoming issues? What characters we may see pop up? Trying very hard to avoid spoilers. Although one thing I did notice is that the covers for future issues come out several months in advance. Oh, so, yeah. So by issue four, I think we telegraph a little bit of where the story is going. But the broad strokes are that before he loses his vision, he, you know, he's been living with for 45 years this guilt, that survivor's guilt that he was left alive when much more powerful heroes died. And he's kind of powerless to, you know, remake society back to what it was. So he's kind of like the one thing he decides he can do before he runs out of time is, is, is a mission of revenge with a specific set of people who did something bad to him that day. And I, we will show what happened to him that day further down the line, which is uh, I have a, a story. Sorry for the non sequitur, but I interviewed um, George R. R. Martin when I worked at the Daily News. And I asked him about writing The Red Wedding and how painful that was for him because like, he clearly loved Rob Stark. And, and uh, it just it was so brutal. It wasn't just killing them off. It was killing them off in this horrible way. So what he told me is he wrote the whole book except for that chapter and he knew you know sort of how that chapter ended so he could go from there but it, he had to do that last because it was just so painful for him to write it hmm. so i will have one of those issues which really? i can't write last because it's you a can. damn monthly you have to write it sequentially <laughs> <laughs> i have to write it sequentially damn comics <laughs> i'm so. so happy that you get 12 issues to tell the story too yeah and it, i have to say like it's it's a story that needs 12 issues i know that probably anyone would say that it's like yeah the chapter where uh there's the dance number. I mean, that that's an important part, you know. Uh, no, but it really is. First of all, he has to go through a lot of killing to, to get to the end. The art will be amazing all the way through. So It all will be amazing. Uh, and I'm very excited because we're going to have some cool behind-the-scenes content with you. But it's a really fun series. Thank I'm you. glad you're doing it. I'm very proud of you. Very happy. Twelve issues of this is going to be spectacular. Hopefully we'll have you on again before the end of the run. Yeah, I'm here. I actually live in the closet uh, nice. down the hallway. Oh, you're so. that guy. Yeah. It's yeah. Fine. So anytime you need me, just to, locks actually from the outside. So I, I need you to let me out once in a while. Fair. Ethan, where can fans find you on social media? Basically through Twitter. It's uh, at Ethan J. Sachs. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you. Okay, guys, before we get to the questions and comments, you had a note of sadness and mourning for the loss of Reggie Cathay. Uh, he played Luke's father in season two of Marvel's Luke Cage, which will be coming soon to Netflix. Uh, Marvel Television shared some condolences, and we put that on the website. Um, but I, those comments are echoed uh, across everyone who was a fan of his work, uh, from The Wire to House of Cards to 
so many things. And I believe Marvel's Luke Cage is his final performance. So um, we, we mourn the loss of Reggie Cathay. Okay, now let's move into what makes Marvel so great. And that's you guys and your questions, your comments, your love. Uh, you can use the <laughs> hashtag this week in Marvel or tweet to us with those. You can also email twimpodcast at marvel.com. Captain Rogers 44 says, hashtag the first 10 years photo hits me right in the feels. All my heroes in one place at one time. Only Infinity War can possibly match this feeling. I can't believe it's been 10 years already. Feels like yesterday. And then he quotes Robert Downey Jr. saying, I am Iron Man. That 10 years photo. Amazing. Everybody loved it. There's the video that's the behind the scenes. You guys can check that out on Marvel YouTube. The video made me geek out. I was sitting at my desk. I had Tucker watch it too. And we were just like, that is so cool. Just seeing like the interaction between favorite actors and actresses and just all the people there. I went back frame by frame and like paused (laughs) it to see who was talking to who and to see so many people. There's like, there's so much great stuff that like Taika Waititi is doing in the background. It's so funny. Mm -hmm. And there's so much going on. It's awesome. Nice. Uh, Another one from Captain Rogers 44. He says, if I had the Venom symbiote, I would find a loud noise to get it off. That thing probably feels like hashtag lumpy tuna. (laughs) Oh, he did it. (laughs) Plus, nothing good really comes from it. Flash is the only person I know to actually benefit from wearing one. Now, Robert crushed it here. He not only threw lumpy tuna, he used it to answer the the question. Yep. You've heard what? of Marvel 2-in-1, but Marvel 2-in-1 answers? Whoa. Oh. <laughs> Raph A.B. says, knowing what my worst trait is, I'll be eating all day long if I had the Venom symbiote. I relate to that. I wish I could eat all day long. Yeah. Ugh. So it's like you eat all day long because like the Venom symbiote just like takes on like all the bad stuff and like the weight and all that. That's a good question. Like, you know what I mean? Like why would you be eating all day long if you had the Venom symbiote? Well, Giant mouth. Fit that, more oh, food in. Just possible because the giant mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the symbiote needs the calories. Right. Yes. You know? Yes. Constantly burning them off. Yeah. It burns them like yeah. crazy. Got that. A tweet in here from Rodrigo Marcondes says, Hello, Agent M. If I had a Venom symbiote in my body, I'd like to be in a game as Maximum Carnage in order to team up with my old friend Spider-Man, plus Captain America, Iron Fist, and Cloak and Dagger against the villain, Cletus Cassidy. That's a good one. And he... Rodrigo actually tweeted this with images from uh, the Maximum Carnage video game, classic uh, video game there, and some Mark Bagley art. It's really neat. I I love those like '90s side-scrolling beat 'em up games. Man, they're my bread and butter. So good. Here's a tweet from at Commander Socket who said, "If I had the Venom symbiote, I would give my fashion sense an upgrade." I think that's that's totally kosher. Good one, Joshua. And another one from our friend Jim Radloff, who shot us an email at twimpodcast at marvel.com. He says, hey, guys, I just listened to the latest episode, and I wanted to share my idea for what I would do if I had the Venom symbiote. My idea is based on three things that we have learned about over the years. One, after having Spider-Man as a host, it still has his powers. Two, it feeds on its host's body, specifically cancer if it can, such as it did with Eddie Brock. And three, it understands human emotions. Jim continues saying, with that in mind, my idea would be to go around in children's hospitals and help kids with cancer. The kids not only get cured of their cancer, but they get to enjoy spider powers while they are treated. And the suit gets to share in the joy of being a child who gets to web swing and stick to walls. How awesome would that be? I 
that when I first read that, I got a little choked up, Jim. That was the sweetest, most heartfelt, most wonderful answer we could have asked for. You win all the twin points forever with that one. Uh, Simon Williams, and this is my favorite <laughs> of the week already, just says, hearing Tucker Marcus sing the national anthem on This Week in Marvel 328 actually made me feel less patriotic. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Anyway, uh, Joshua Cooper says, so excited Agent M still has a Zune. I listen to This Week in Marvel every week on mine. Yeah, what's up, Josh? Wow. That is the best. I love that so much. Anyway. Hey, doesn't doesn't Peter Quill get one at the end of Volume 2? Oh, yeah. He, that thing's going to be all the rage soon. <laughs> I think if that boat was going to sail, it would have sailed last May. Maybe maybe prices skyrocketed. Vol- uh, volume 3, when he's just waltzing around listening to his Zune, people are going to love it. Maybe so. Wow. Maybe so. Put all your money in Zune stock. <laughs> called Microsoft. Uh, anyway, last one in here is from Nisa asking a question I've been wanting to ask forever. Who is your favorite Avenger? Wow. Mm. Mm. I think I've always, obviously I love Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. Hawkeye, I love Hercules. Terrific. is one of my favorites. But, you know, I have a soft spot for Dr. Druid. And I think Vision is a tremendous yeah, sort I- of... Vision's Under, always been there for me. Yeah. I, I have a lot of favorite characters that aren't in the Avengers realm, so I think Vision would actually take the cake for me. It's just mm. it's interesting. What about you, Tucker? I, you know, it is appropriate timing, and I think it just works perfectly. I believe he first joined the Avengers in 1968. It's Black Panther. Really? Yeah. I mean, c- come on. He's so incredible on his own, but in a team, he's he can be a foil to some. He can be a compliment to others. Uh, so, yeah, definitely Black Panther. Nice. I think I would go back to probably Hawkeye, a guy who may you may think he's the weakest, but he's right there in the middle it's of true. things and will fight. And he has died for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty great. This is such a great question. It's going to be our question of the week. So uh, hat tip to MC underscore slays for this one. And we want to know from you guys who is your favorite Avenger Use hashtag this week at Marvel. You can email us at twinpodcast at marvel.com. That's it for this episode of This Week in Marvel. Thank you all for listening. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. I'm Alex Lopez. On Twitter, you can find me at, at Alex Lopez underscore, and the O is a zero. <laughs> I, every week, I love it more and more. It's such a hassle. <laughs> I'm at Tucker Marcus, T U C K E R M A R K U S. Uh, Thank you, Evil Producer Brandon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Marvel, your universe.